1: When it comes to having a right standing before God, it is a right standing that is found in somebody other than us and not in our best efforts. That's what we're discussing here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Good works, good deeds, your best efforts. Sadly, they have no bearing on your standing before God. Welcome to Abounding Grace online at reformedheritage.org and from Reformed Heritage Church here at San Jose. We invite you to spend some time with us in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Christ, the end of the law for righteousness is the title that Pastor Gary is assigned to today's program. And that's exactly what we're exploring. How Christ is all-sufficient for your standing and mind before God. For the details, here's Pastor Gary and today's
2: Abounding Grace. We think we have a little scratch, but we are gashed. And that is the point Paul is trying to make. This point about the Jews and applying it to us. We're not just marked with one or two Oh, if I could just deal with this one or this other thing, everything will be okay between me and God. No, 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 beloved. I am gashed. You are gashed. You know, men think today that their problems are kind of like a skinned knee. When really, what they have is a shotgun blast to the stomach. But we don't want to hear that, do we? The Jews didn't want to hear it. So, hey, our works, those are what's going to save us. They will keep us in God's favor. Romanism is equally guilty of this, of setting up man's works as the basis of salvation. Oh, we can atone for the penalty of our sins and lessen our time in purgatory. But is there not, even in our own hearts very often, This thought, this lurking delusion. Well, I know I did something bad. But if I do something good, it will all balance out. And then over the course of my life, if the good outweighs the bad, everything's going to be okay with me and God. But this is useless. Oh, and it is also blasphemous. It is a waste of time. It is the unholy telling the holy what he must accept when the holy has already told us what he accepts. Perfect moral purity in thought, in word, life, relations, societies. Filth, my friends, cannot bargain with purity. And that is what Paul is condemning the Jews for doing. So if we have any fear of God, We've got to be done with verse 3. Going about to establish our own righteousness. Why? (laughs) Because we don't have any. We have none. You have none. We are all unclean. Scripture tells us this. Now it's no fun to face this. We want to hear something good. But until we hear the truth... We will always try to play this deadly game of, well, let me do some good to make up for the bad. We even do this in our own personal relationships. That is one of the reasons why there is oftentimes a struggle between husband and wife and and mother and father and children and people within the church. We think, well, I did this and I offended here. Now, let me do some good. And hopefully I won't have to really address the bad. But I'll just do the good to make up for the bad. No, it's bad. And we do it in our relationships. And we teach our children to do it. And what are we supposed to do? Will you forgive me? I did wrong. I have sinned against you. My only hope is for you to extend me mercy. It is rare for men today, for Western men at least, very rare to hear preaching that puts men in their true light. I mean, we hear a few words about problems and issues. And, of course, everyone can handle hearing, well, we have a problem with the poor, and we have a problem with sexual bigotry. But we don't want to hear about the big problem, which is we are marred. We are gashed. We're bleeding, unable to please God in any way. So much of modern preaching is, was what Jeremiah was getting on to the prophets about in his day. There were all kinds of people watching everything crumble all around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the only place left. All the outlying plains in front of it gradually had been taken over. But there were prophets in Jerusalem, saying, Come on, God's going to deliver you. It's okay. Man the walls. Keep on fighting the good fight. But Jeremiah said, You are those who lightly heal the wounds of the daughters of Zion. You prophets are preaching peace, peace. Why? Because we've got the temples, we've got the ceremonies, we've got the law. We can do this. Peace, peace. When Jeremiah said, there is no peace. There is no peace for the wicked, my friends. There is no peace unless our sins are atoned for by the blood of the Lamb. And you know, those most noted in Scripture for holiness, they always confess this. Moses, Job, Isaiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul. Even even Paul did in Romans 7. He said, in me, I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Of course not. It's not what he said. No, he said in verse 18, in me, in my flesh, dwells nothing good. Nothing. That doesn't mean maybe something. It means nothing, not one good thing. So we need to join him in condemning ourselves before God's holiness. So that then we will see how precious Jesus is. And he won't be a fleeting. Oh yeah, that Jesus. Oh, he's out there. John, 6, John 3, 16, a great gospel. Yeah, that's really great. No, we must forsake the slightest idea that there is anything good in us that will gain us any favor with God. Well oh, we have nothing He will accept nothing but the righteousness of his Son. So fly to Christ. I think the church will be revived when we hear true preaching about man's condition again. That will actually be evidence that there is a revival. Yeah, we want to feel good about ourselves. No one, unless taught by the Holy Spirit, is going to want to hear that I'm a sinner, I'm vile. And that I can do nothing to even bring one good work to God. Nothing that will win any favor with Him. But beloved, unless we hear this truth, we will always hold on to the gospel lightly. Let's say that you're down at the beach and you're 15 feet offshore and you're in a kayak and pretending you're just as fit as a fiddle. And then suddenly... The kayak tips over, and you're splashing all around 15 feet from shore. And you see a small piece of wood floating by. What are you going to do with it? You're going to ignore it, and you're going to swim to shore. But let's say you're out in the middle of the ocean, and you're in a shipwreck. And you see a piece of wood floating by. What are you going to do to that? Then you are going to use the last ounce of your energy to grab that piece of wood to keep you afloat as long as possible. One of the problems with American Christianity is that we think we are like the man who was only 15 feet from shore. I can do this. I can make it back. Everything is going to be okay. I don't need any help. Yeah, the gospel's great, hallelujah, praise Jesus. But I usually go for that only to make me feel good and to build up my emotional state and to deal with all my psychoses from living in an artificial suburban experience where everything has been dished up to me and made convenient so that I can kind of get hurt and frustrated when my life is just even a little bit difficult. We don't want to hear. No, you're in the middle of the ocean without a ship, without a compass, without a rudder, and the gospel floats by you in that log. And your only hope in this life and in the next is to go for that piece of wood, to go for Jesus Christ, to close with him, to hold fast to him, to love him, and to cling to him. So unless we hear the truth about ourselves we're not going to run to Christ. He will not be able to save us. You know, Peter's funny. He was not one to do anything halfway. Remember when the Lord said, Peter, I want you to throw your net back in the, in the, in, in, uh, the Red Sea to get some fish. Peter said, Lord, I've been fishing here all night, but by your word, I'll do it again. So he does it, and he fills up his boat. And what does he say? He says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now think about this for just a minute. Peter didn't say, you know, in the light of all these fish... In the light of the power and the glory of the Lord. And what he knew about what was under the water here. I better tell him that I stole an extra cookie one time. No, I didn't tell him, Lord. You know, I've done a few bad things, but I'm actually a pretty good guy. No, what did he say? He said, get away from me. That's what the word depart means. Leave me. Why? Why? Because I am not fit to have fellowship with you. I'm not fit. That is what true faith does. It sees itself for what it really is. It doesn't say, oh, I'm pretty good. I've just got a little scrape here and a pimple over there and a sprained ankle. No, I am a ghastly corpse. That's what true faith says. I am marred. I'm bleeding. I'm bruised. So, for get this going about to establish my own righteousness, I don't have any. I must have Christ's alone. Peter said, I am unworthy, a vile sinner. And this is always the mark of true and saving faith. Do you have it? We must see ourselves as without any hope except. That a holy God has mercy upon us through the Lord Jesus. Do you have that? If you don't. You are lost at this moment. And if you die. You will go to hell. If you are holding on to. I've got something good. I've been brought up in all of this. I know some good things. I've loved Jesus. I've said some right things here and there. But can you honestly confess about your own heart? I have no hope in myself. I am so vile, so filthy. Unlike the Jews who went about thinking, we can do this. Do you confess, I can't? I must have you, son of God, come and save me. I must have you cleanse me. I must have your obedience because I don't have any. So unless we believe in him, our filth will be Are undoing. And there's nothing we'll be able to do about it. We have no righteousness before God. And no hope of his mercy. But if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy what relief and release that is. Consciences settled. Why? Because there's only one thing since God made our consciences. That will ever settle them. It is when the blood of Christ is applied to them. And when we understand and believe, okay, he obeyed for me. I have the righteousness that God requires. The righteousness that he and he alone has provided through his son. And that is what Paul means by verse 4. That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, he obviously doesn't mean that the believer doesn't have anything to worry about the law any longer. Chapter 6, I'll go back and read that. It is utterly ridiculous to think that is what that verse is saying in light of chapter 6. Plus, it throws all scripture on its head. God's law is the eternal rule of the devout holy life as Calvin said. A better interpretation would be to translate telos, end, as purpose. God is the purpose of the law. But the problem is, even though telos does sometimes mean this, that the whole purpose, the whole of the law was Christ, the sentence is then going to be grammatically awkward, especially in the Greek. It would read something like, Christ is the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if you don't believe, then he wasn't the purpose of the law. So even though that view has a certain attractiveness to it, I think we should just go with what Paul usually uses the word telos for. For a destination point, an end point, a termination. What he is saying here, verse 4, is meant... The buttress, verses 1 through 3. You see, Christ and his coming and his death on the cross means there is no more righteousness through the law. Now, he's already said in chapter 9, verse 32, that there never was this. But that is not his purpose here. In other words, the Jews totally missed the point. They missed the purpose of the law, if they ever thought. Obedience to the law was going to make them righteous. But Paul is making the point more specific here in saying, look at Christ. If you ever needed to know that there is no way for obedience to the law to make men righteous, you need to look at him. Think about this. Why would God have crucified his only son? if there was even the slightest possibility that men could be just through obeying the law. If that were true, then God would be a monster and we would need to run as fast as we can away from him. Study the cross. With the coming of Christ, it shows it is over with. This works for righteousness' sake. There is no righteousness with law-keeping. 9.32, there never was. But here Paul is making the point. Since they were about to establish their own righteousness, Christ brings an end to all that to those who believe. No more attempts to justify ourselves and to establish our own righteousness. So let me encourage you at the end to do two things. One, whenever attempted at times to think maybe I've got something good. In fact, I'm being good right now. You know, it's funny. We can be true Christians and then suddenly start turning in a little bit to, but I'm being good. I'm a good person. Now, it's good to be good if you're a Christian. It's good to be thankful to God and obey Him. And Jesus says, if you want to have joy, obey God. But we always need to remember that I am right with God, not because I'm good. If he was made, if he has made me good, it is because he made me right in him through grace. It is all of him. Now, I just want to bring this one point home to you. No one has ever been, has ever been righteous enough to enter heaven And to have God's favor through their own obedience. Job, no. Daniel, no. David, no. The apostles, no. Hear God's word. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The chastisement of our peace was on him. And by his stripes we are made, we are healed. Why his stripes because I'm filthy and so are you why did the father send his son the suffering servant to obey because we cannot obey because we are undone and we are filthy so make sure the end of verse the the end of verse four applies to you today before you leave here To everyone that believeth, Christ is the end of the law for salvation. He is the termination point. He has fulfilled it. No more curse. Sinner, let me encourage you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only sufficient covering that you can have before the holy gaze of a God who is so holy. Put away hiding from God. You can hide from the preachers and the elders. You can hide from your spouse. I've seen some masterful illusionists even within Christian marriages. But you can't hide from God. He sees everything. So please understand. If you do not embrace Christ today, the law's curses will come against you. If you do not repent and believe the gospel. But those curses when you believe in Jesus they don't just they are not just simply silent they are fully satisfied believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and draw near to God with the assurance of i am forgiven because you're good no because he is merciful i am forgiven why it is because i have is it because i have done some good stuff no it's because jesus shed his precious blood for us So when we believe in him, we get to give up the wearying effort of trying to bring something good to God that he will accept. You see, the believer says, I'm done with all of that. There's nothing in me but filth, but in my Savior is beautiful righteousness. There is faithfulness to keep me. There is power to save me. There is grace to cleanse me. And I have nothing to fear when I stand before God, nothing. That is why the believer doesn't fear death. Because when you die and you stand before the holy God, there is the Lamb of God still looking as if he had been slain. And he says, I pled for this one. I died for this one. This one is mine. You see, if we don't believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, we get just one chance in this life and that is it. And there will be no one to plead for you when you stand before the righteousness of God, your righteousness that you thought you were accumulating in this life will just melt away like shrouds of mist, that vain delusion. There won't be any defense to make. No one will speak for you. That will be the loneliest, scariest, most terrifying moment of your life to stand before the holy and have no covering no defense oh beloved do not let that happen to you embrace christ he is the end of the law for righteousness there's no obedience that way for us he is the one who obeyed that way so believe in him be covered be cleansed be righteous And then rejoice in God's good grace. Devote yourself to his praise. For what he has done for us, we can never do for ourselves. We must have righteousness. Oh, yes. But we cannot come up with it ourselves. God is the one who gives it to us through his son. Amen.